Bathsheba story with. Abraham and saying Sarah's his sister. Um, Jacob and all the lies he told over and over and over again, the heroes of the Bible. We're going to see that they're real people. And, and the reason that God lays those things out for us is so that we can recognize that we, we, we tend to look at them, David or Abraham or some of these guys, and we put them on a pedestal and we say, wow, I wish I could be a man like that. I wish I could be a woman like that. I wish I could be so bold with my faith. Or, and the reason the Lord lays out these stories for us is that we, that we would recognize they're real people just like us. We're real problems and real weakness and real failures and real redemption and real repentance and God does real things and as we look at David and as we've been studying through we remember that David is a man after God's own heart and the concept being a man after God's own heart is simply founded in this ideal that God is always central in our life Listen, the best example of that, we go through the Old Testament, folks, and we come to the story of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel left the Exodus, crossed the Red Sea, they're beginning a new life. And as they crossed the Red Sea, the Lord would guide them. And from that moment, the Lord led them from their midst. He brought them to the mount called Mount Sinai, where the law is given. And when the law is given, so is a building permit, in essence, from God to Moses to build the tabernacle, a tent, the tent of meeting, the place where God would be. And do you realize where the tent of meeting was kept? Right smack dab in the middle of the camp. The people are divided north, south, east, west. But the, the Lord was central. Right in the middle. He brought them through Joshua and the years of wandering. All the while, God's central. He brings them into the promised land. And when they come into the promised land, he's central. And Joshua leads them through all these battles. And they, and they gain the ground that God promised them. And the Lord is central. And then the people took the tent, the tabernacle, and they put it in a town called Shiloh. And they all went about their business. And then God wasn't central anymore. You had to go to Shiloh. And I didn't have to pass through Shiloh to go anywhere else, so the people fell away. The book is called the Book of Judges. And we see this downward spiral of the people when God's not central. But as we come out of the Book of Judges, we come to a book called the Book of Ruth, which speaks of redemption and God's redeeming work in the life of people who will choose to make God central in their life. And then we come from there to 1 Samuel. We see the first king and David being raised up by God to take the helm. And what was it that marked David? The Lord was central. Central. In fact, when David becomes king, we read about it, didn't we? He went to get the Ark of the Covenant, which wasn't even in Shiloh. Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, didn't have the Ark for over a hundred years. The Ark was in somebody else's house because nobody would go get it. Because nobody cared until David. He went and got the ark and he brought it into Jerusalem. And he said, Lord, I want to build you a house. I want to make the house of God right here. Right here in the capital. Jerusalem, 
for the nation of Israel is just like Washington, D.C. No tribes own the land. The land of Jerusalem was separate from all tribes. So they said, we're going to set that and we're going to set it at the temple. And once again, the concept of making God central comes to the people through a man after God's own heart. And we talked last time that the Bible tells it was in the time of the spring when the kings would go out to war. And we shared about the idea that David is tired of the battle. And we, we talk about that, right? Sometimes we get tired of the battle. But the truth is simply this. We are in enemy territory right now. It's not our home. You are in enemy territory. There is not supposed to be a day off from the battle against the flesh, the battle against evil, the battle to move forward with the Lord, to do the things of the songs that we just listened to about being the one who would share the truth of God's word with somebody who needs to know the truth. There's no day off from that. But David wanted to take a day off, so he sent everybody else out to war. He sent all the men off to war, and he decided to go take a, a walk out on his patio, which was their roof in those days. And he saw Bathsheba. And from that began the downward spiral of David. God wasn't central. His desire for Bathsheba was. And it, he do, would do anything, including killing her husband, so that he could have her. When we began, as we began to look at chapter 12, we're just going to read through it. Chapter 12 begins a year after David has lied with Bathsheba. Uriah, her husband, is dead. Everything seems to be okay. But listen, let me tell you this. You guys have some time. I encourage you to do this. I want you to read these four psalms. These four psalms are written during this time. Psalm 38. Psalm 6, Psalm 51, and Psalm 32. They all deal with what's going on in David's heart during this time. A year has passed. The baby is, is just about to, to, to be born. The, the child that Bathsheba is going to give birth to, we're going to see that take place. But listen, the man whom God had so exalted, David, calling him a man after God's own heart, he had such fellowship with him, had sunk so low... So low. He was the guy who was going to restore piety in Israel. He was the guy who was making God central again, right? In the nation. He's doing all these, these great things. But he has given occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme. That guy. When his own life was in danger, he wouldn't raise a finger to smite his enemy, Saul. But he killed his friend to have his wife. This guy. This guy that God called, that God has a plan for. This guy, just so he could gratify his lust. I don't know if it was any more possible for someone to sink any lower than David was for that year. And in chapter 12, God, in his mercy, brings it all to an end. We talked about this a little bit last week. Let's just read it in, to remember what's going on. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and he said to him, There are two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. Well, the rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate its own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. 
And one day a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man that had come to him. So he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, that man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are that man. That moment for David, all those months of hiding were over. God knows. And in that moment, David recognized something that's so important for us all to understand. And that is that when we sin, we sin against God always. It's against Him. We don't always think about that. We think it's against this person or against that person. Or, no, it's against God. It's against the Lord. So Nathan said to David, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives to your keeping. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised or hated the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. God knew everything that he had ever done I would have given you more but you despise you hated the commandment John the apostle of love I often think of John as the as the first biker in the Bible the scripture lays out for us that he was the son of thunder that always fits for me sons of thunder seems like a biker and uh, as a son of thunder at one time with Jesus they're leaving a town that wasn't so good to him and John, the biker, looks over at Jesus and says, Shall we call down fire from heaven and burn these people up? And the Lord says to him, John, you don't even know of what spirit you are. A little while later, he becomes known as the apostle of love. He would come in, he would be brought in as an old man to the church at Ephesus where, where he dies. And he'd be brought in and set up in front of the church to give a message. And as he sat in that, in that stool or on that chair to give the message, he would simply say, my little children love one another. He was all about love. In his epistle, this is what he writes. If you love God... You will keep his commandments, and his commandments will not be burdensome. The Lord had looked at David and said, David, why have you hated my commandments? And John says, the apostle of love, when we love the Lord, we keep them. Now listen, I, I, before you lose sight of this, I want you to hold on to this picture. That word keep means to guard a treasure. 
Listen, the, the love language of God is obedience. Don't get me wrong. But the attitude of someone who loves the Lord is to treasure his commandments. They have value. God's word I have, has value. So that's why I want to obey God's word. It has value to me. But when I sin like David did, willfully, and knowing that he, what he did was wrong, did David know what he did was wrong? Yeah, he knows. He's a king. He has to write out a copy of the, of the law. He had to write through Leviticus, which said, if a man and a woman committed adultery, they were both to be taken outside the city and stoned. He knows. But he did it anyway. The Lord said, why have you hated my commandments? See, God was no longer central. This desire was central. But in this moment... As the Lord reaches out to him, I want you to hear what he says. Let's go on. The Lord said, therefore, in verse 11, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. What you have done secretly, I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Folks, that's repentance. Repentance means a change of direction. It means that I acknowledge that my behavior was a crime against God. In that acknowledgement, I'm saying, I'm a sinner. I need you. We read Psalm 51 last week. Psalm 51, he said, I cannot offer I would, I would give a sacrifice if you require it, but there is no sacrifice for willful sin. There's no sacrifice to give. He has to offer himself to the Lord. Humbly. I need mercy. I need grace. I, I am what the story Nathan told is all about. And before we look at David too harshly, every one of us can be in that story. Every one of us. We are guilty. Period. And we need grace, mercy, and forgiveness just like every single other brother and sister who comes to the Lord seeking mercy. We need to echo the words of David. I have sinned against the Lord. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Folks, that right there is mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Leviticus said, if you lie with another woman in adultery, you're to be stoned. That's just one of his sins that we're dealing with. Never mind the murder of Uriah. But God's going to use David's own words to bring judgment. What do I mean? David says, that man will pay four times. He should pay four times. David's going to lose four children for the one he took. He's going to lose an infant 
He's going to lose Amnon, who's going to rape his own sister, Tamar. He's going to lose Absalom. And he's going to lose Adonijah. The Lord said, because of what you've done, the sword's never going to leave your family. Listen, these are consequences, not judgment. Understand the difference. He's forgiven. God said, you're not going to die. Mercy, forgiveness. But Galatians says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will love the flesh, reap corruption. But if he sows to the Spirit, he will love the Spirit, reap everlasting life. David had sown to the wind, and he reaps the whirlwind. What did his children watch him do? See a woman he wanted and take it. Take the woman. Kill the husband, whatever it takes. Get what you want. So Amnon, his son, in watching that, would say, I want Tamar, I desire her, I'm just going to take her. Consequence of sin. Consequence of sin. Absalom's going to look at Amnon and say, see what he'd done to his, his sister and say, that's not okay. And he has a desire for the throne. So what he's going to do is lay a trap and then kill Amnon. And try to take the kingdom from David. And die on a battlefield with his long hair stuck in a tree. Hanging by his hair, looking at a man named Joab. Who was always ready to throw a spear. And he kills him. And when Solomon his son is set up as king. The first act of Solomon his son at 12 years old is to kill his brother Adonijah who is trying to lead a rebellion against him consequences for the choices that we make for the things that we do they they came into David's life as well, as well. they're a part of David's life and he's going to face them Four of his children, one of his own daughters is going to be sexually abused. His family is going to be torn apart because of the choice that was, that was made. But the scripture says this in verse 14. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The first, the first call, the first of the four. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. Now, you know, the reality is we don't really know. We don't know if the baby was just born. If the baby had been born earlier. Most people surmise that the baby was just born because there's no name. You named your child on the seventh day. The eighth day when you took the child in to be circumcised, it was like his christening. He would be given his name at that moment. But the child is only going to make it a week. The scripture tells us that David lay there on the floor crying out to the Lord while his child was sick. I wonder... I wonder if there on the floor, he, he wondered, why is someone innocent 
dying for me. Isn't that the same picture of the, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world? Isn't that the same picture of what Jesus Christ has done for, for every one of us? Well, the, the whole idea of a picture is it's not exactly the same, but the concept is there. This, this innocent child, born in sin, absolutely. But it's an, this is an infant. And every one of those seven days while Dave is laying on the ground, don't you think he struggles with the idea? Why does someone else have to die for me? Lord, not this. I'll pay the price. Take me. Isn't that the cry every father who watches his son struggling and, and dying? Isn't that the cry of every father to say, not him, me? Listen, later on, David's going to sin and he's going to number the people and this plague is going to come through and be wiping out the children of Israel. And David's going to go up on a mountain and he's going to say, Lord, not them. Me. I sinned. Me. Don't make someone else pay for what I've done. But isn't that what sin does anyway? It always makes someone else pay. And the price is always more than what was advertised. All the time. It's interesting because during this time, I told you those, those four psalms that David wrote. The last in sequence is the 32nd psalm. Why don't you turn there with me and let's just take a look at the 32nd psalm for a moment. I love the Bible. I love opportunities to study the Bible. I love opportunities to dive in and, and really get into what the Word has to say. When we take a look at what David has to say for us in the 32nd Psalm, here's something I want you to, to kind of get square in your mind. In the Hebrew, there are three different words for sin. We often, when we preach, we say sinning is missing the mark. That's true. That's the most common word in the Hebrew as well. It's hatat. It, it means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. The, the idea being there's a standard and haven't measured up to that standard. There's two other words that, that are often used in the same way or in, in a slightly different way to uh, not only understand the idea that there's a standard, but it, they describe the, our human relation to that standard. Well, for example, there's a word, Pesah, which indicates a revolt against the divine standard. That's a willful sin. I know what's expected, but I'm doing the opposite. Pesah in the Hebrew. Another word in the Hebrew is awan. Awan, awan is a, a deviation or twisting the standard. I know what the standard is, but, but if I twist it like this, I can do what I want. And it's not really a sin. I, I'm, just, I'm just twisting it a little bit. Just tweaking the standard. What's that got to do with anything? When you go through the psalm, know this. Chatat is the word sin. Missing the mark. Pesah is transgression. Awan 
is iniquity or guilt. All three of the words for sin are utilized by David's cry to the Lord for what he had done. They're all a part of who he was. And he begins the 32nd Psalm. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The transgression was that willful sin for which there's no sacrifice. Blessed is he whose transgression is rebellion against God is forgiven. Whose sin hatat is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Avon. In whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Selah is a musical term. It means rest. It means stop. Meditate. Think about that. The heaviness of the hand of God on the life of a sinner. Who knows? His life is not okay. Who understands that he's in a wrong place. That God's not central. That he shouldn't be in this place that he's at. And that is compared with the man who is oh so happy to be forgiven. <laughs> Set free. Man, what a, what a blessing to see. In verse 5 he goes on, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. All three words for sin. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. I confessed them. This is what is required to receive forgiveness. This is what's required for David to make God central. This is what's required to be a man or woman after God's own heart. That I agree with God. This is what his word says. I don't justify my sin. I say, it's sin. Forgive me. I confess my sin. And he forgives me that doesn't mean i go before the lord and i say god forgive me for my sin that's generic it means i go to the lord and i say god these are my transgressions he knows them don't matter how dark it was when you did them he saw just like the light of day and i receive forgiveness for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. And surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. For you are my hiding place. You will preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with the songs of deliverance. Selah. Now why are you looking at this? And when you have an opportunity to go back and look at those other psalms I gave you, I have a question for you. When the children of Israel gathered at the, the tent of meeting for worship, what songs did they sing? Well, that, that would be the Psalms. So you mean when David was king and he wrote the 51st Psalm about his sin with Bathsheba, 
the people, when they gathered for worship, sang it? Yeah. He didn't hide it. He didn't pretend it didn't happen. He brought it out corporately. He said, this is who I am, your king. I'm a sinner. I'm a frail man. I am weak. But through God, through the Lord, I am strong. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do most things. Is that what he said? You could get away with a little bit? No, he said, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. But Paul, writing Philip, the, the book of Philippians, what did he say? I can do what? All things how? Through Christ that strengthens me. And every one of the Psalms that David writes is proclaiming that. I'm not afraid to say I'm a sinner. I'm a broken and weak man who fails. It is the centrality of Christ that makes me more than what I was. I shared with you before, Kathy, every once in a while says, Man, Jackie, I'm so happy you're not that guy you used to be. Let me square this away for you. I am that guy, apart from Christ. I'm not somehow better. I'm not a good person. I'm not capable of doing right things, and I just happen to screw up a little bit. Listen, I am a filthy, rotten, good-for-nothing sinner apart from Christ. It is only in Christ that I achieve the victory, that the floodwaters don't wash me away, that I can cling to Him, my rock. He is what made, listen, He is what made David a man after God's own heart. And He's what makes us that. Men and women after God's own heart. It's in that centrality. It's in that honesty the honesty that David writes, the honesty of the Psalms. He says in verse 8, So I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not, do not be like the horse or like the mule that has no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. But don't be somebody that God has to force. You should be more than that. Because in the book of Corinthians, chapter 13, Paul would write, Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, if I have not love, what? It profits me nothing. Though I take all of my goods, my earthly goods, and I sell them and give the money to the poor, if I have not love, what does it profit me? Nothing. If I have all wisdom so that I can understand all mysteries, but I have not love, what does it profit me? Nothing. Why do I keep his commandments? Because I love him. And love always does more than the law requires. All the time. Because I love him. Because I love him. I don't need a bridle. I love him. I don't need a bit. I love him. So I want to obey him. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy will surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you of an upright heart. Psalm 32, written at the end of the things that we're reading about in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 
We go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We left David on the floor. It says in, in the second part of verse 15, And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. And David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and he fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. Now, while we're talking about this, listen, I, I, I want to try to get this concept, because I, a lot of times I hear people talk about this idea of fasting. Let me give you the biblical idea of a fast. David is so consumed with the life of his child and the opportunity for God to forgive, for God to heal, for God to be merciful, that he's so focused on the Lord that he doesn't eat. David does not come there, look at the sickness of the child and say, you know, I'm going to call for a fast. A fast just happens. A fast just happens when God is central and you miss lunch because you were so into what God was doing. Or you miss breakfast or you missed meals all day long because God was so central and moving. That's the fast. We can call a fast all the time. I could say, we're going to fast tomorrow. What are we all going to do? Think about what we're not eating. Didn't have breakfast. When's this fast over? Jeez, uh, I got like 12 more hours. How am I ever going to survive? But the right, righteous fast, my mind's so in tune with the Lord, I don't even know I'm fasting. Because I'm focused on Him. That's what's going on with David here. He didn't call for a fast. He's so caught up in what's going on in the life of his child. He's so caught up in what God's doing that he, he's fasting. He's calling on the name of the Lord. He's seeking God's touch. He's saying, maybe the Lord will deliver. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. Where is he? He's on the floor. The Hebrew word for that is the word shakah. To bow down, prostrate oneself, and worship. On the ground. On his face. Let me tell you how every one of us is going to meet the Lord. Shaka. I promise you will not be standing up. I promise you will not have anything to say. I promise there will be one thing you do. Grab that ground with your face and worship. I don't even think we can imagine what we're going to see when we see Jesus face to face. I know on one hand it is going to be the most extremely glorious thing I will ever experience in my life. And on the other hand it's going to be the most terrified I'm ever going to be. Because I'm going to see what he did for me. Because that love is eternal. He bears in his body the marks of his love for me. Last I checked, I, I don't have any marks that I bear in my body for my love for him. It's going to be an incredible time, just like David. Shaka, prostrate on the floor. The people come to raise David up. David, get up. Get up. Get off the floor. You're the king, for crying out loud. This is not how the king's supposed to act. 
Most kings at this time in the Middle East, would they even care? One of the women from their harem's child is dying. Why would they care? Now think about it. They wouldn't care. Our history is full of people who, who barely cared for the people of their own family. Herod killed all his. But here David is on his face. He would not, nor did he eat any food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass the child died. The servants of David were afraid to tell him the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He, he may do some harm, but David, he, he hears them talking over on the side. And he puts it together. David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said, Is the child dead? And they said, He's dead. And David arose from the ground. Washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. The single greatest act of worship I've ever witnessed in my life, single greatest act of worship I ever witnessed in my life was a father in an emergency room of a hospital where his son had just had a motorcycle accident. The doctor just came in and said, I'm sorry, your son has died. And that father raised his hands to the heaven and praised God. That's the single greatest act of worship I've ever seen. Out of the pain of his heart, he still loved God. Jesus said, if you don't love me more than your, more than your children, more than your wife, more than your father and mother... You're not worthy of me. I hope we never come to the test. But I'm happy to say that that father passed his. His son passed into eternity. And the same words that David said, he says. Well, he, he went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. And then he went to his own house. And, and when he requested, they brought food and he ate. And the servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fastened and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food? What's going on? David doesn't make any sense. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. But he doesn't come back to me. I want you to think about all the things that verse implies. For one thing, that verse implies that an infant child that dies goes to the presence of God. That infant child never heard the gospel. Never was presented with a choice. But David said, I will go to him I see my son again this is not the end everything that happens in this world is not eternal it's temporal it's all passing the things we do for the Lord the love we have for him those things are eternal so David gets up he gets up, he worships the Lord. In verse 24 it says, And David comforted Bathsheba his wife. Listen, first time in the scriptures she's called that. 
Go back and look. Before that, she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, after being confronted with his sin, repenting, she's called Bathsheba. He comforts Bathsheba, his wife. His wife. Was David wrong? Yeah. Does God expect him to go back? No. He says, bloom where you're planted. You're here now. Move forward. You can't go back and change the things you've done. But you can move forward from where you are and make them right. He went into her and lay with her and she bore a son and they called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. Well, I just can't help. When I look at this, when I read this story, we're not going to go a whole lot further. But when I read this story, let me tell you what I can't help but see. I can't help but see Jesus Christ as the innocent child who dies, who dies for the sin of his, of his father. And then I see in the birth of Solomon, the resurrection. The name Solomon means peace. Peaceable. Finally, David's life is at peace. Why? Because there has been a sacrifice made. When is your life peace? When you've made your peace with the sacrifice of the innocent Jesus Christ gave for you and I. I am at peace when I have received that gift. And look at what the scripture says. The Lord loved him. Oh, the Lord loved Solomon. I've read this 10,000 times and always wondered what was so special about Solomon. I don't know. The Lord calls him. The Lord says to Jonathan, change that boy's name. I'm going to call him Jedediah, which means beloved of God. Beloved of God. Jesus died for our sins. He is the innocent lamb that takes away the sin of the world. When he's raised, he becomes our peace. And he is beloved of God. And when we come to him, we are accepted in the beloved, Ephesians tells us. We are accepted in Jedediah, the love sacrifice. It's all pictured there. A new life moving forward. Solomon, peace. Bathsheba has her name. David is restored. He's a man after God's own heart. Christ is central. They're moving forward. Things are squared away. It can always happen. But it's going to happen when we worship at the altar of the cross. And the sacrifice is made for us propels us moving forward what God wants to do how God wants to move what God wants to accomplish in our life scripture tells us that the Lord he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet so he called his name Jedediah because of the Lord loved by God loved by God full circle for David Full circle tonight. And all of us can find ourselves where David's at.
maybe not the same way, the same reason, but all sin separates us from God. All sin puts us in a place where our bones fill out a joint like David proclaimed in the 32nd Psalm. And they're all just one step away from being removed. If you're a believer, the scripture lays out for us in 1 John 1, 9, If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. All in the Greek means all, and that's all that all means. All unrighteousness. If I'm not a believer, all I have to do is put my faith and trust in him. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Man, I reach out to him and say, save me. The Lord has never slapped away a hand yet. Proclaim myself to be a sinner in need. And he's right there to make me white as snow. By the blood he shed for me. That's what he offers for us. Today is the day. Now is the time. That's what the scriptures declare. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time that we can share in your word. We thank you for an opportunity to study. We thank you for the chance to see your word living and powerful in our life. Lord God, it's our prayer. If there's anybody here separated from the Lord because of sin in their life, some secret issue like David had is eating away at you from the inside out. Confess it. God already knows. And be made new. Enter into the time of peace. In the place where you can say, I am beloved of God. And Lord, I pray you do that work. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here that does not know you. We can get up, sing a song or two and run out the back door. Get ourselves a milkshake and a piece of pie and say, ah, wow, barely got out of there. But what have you run away from? I pray nobody would miss an opportunity to see someone in need of the truth of the gospel and not reach out a hand and say, let me introduce you to the one that was beat for me to the one who bore my shame and sin to the one who died for me and rose again victoriously who is seated at the right hand of the father and lives ever to make intercession for me let me introduce you to him that he is the one who saves God, go before us in this place and make a way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have my heart, the 
It's been used and broken And it only comes in blue It's been down a long road It's gotten dirty along the way If I give it to you Will you make it Wash the shame away You can have my heart If you don't mind broken things You can have my life If you don't mind these tears Well, I heard that you make old things new So I'm giving these pieces all to you If you want it, you can have my heart So beyond repair There's nothing I could do I tried to fix it myself But it was only worse When I got through So you came into my dark and you spoke your words so sweet Then you hold me like a child Till my frozen tears just fell At your feet So you can have my heart If you don't mind broken You can have my life If you don't mind these tears Well, I know that you make old things new So I'm giving these pieces all to you If you want it, you can have my heart if you want it, you can have my You're here tonight and you feel broken you may look fine on the outside we do a good job of hiding it sometimes but if you're broken on the inside know this Jesus can fix it because he fixes everything not only that but he kind of likes broken things because those things that the world has disregarded as trash 
you and me in our brokenness and in what we feel like maybe is our worthlessness. He likes it even though the world trashes it because he knows he can fix it. But sometimes the only way to do that is to quit taking hold of the reins ourselves and controlling it. and Stand back and let go and let him have it and let him in. He feels your pain And He cries your tears He knows when you're lonely And He knows your fears Though sometimes you feel The world closing in Just stand back, open your heart, and let Him in. And though sometimes you are weary and helpless, and though sometimes you don't know where to Give Jesus a chance to be your friend. Just stand back, open your heart, and let Him in. Because He feels your pain, and He cries your tears. He knows when you're lonely And He knows your fears Though sometimes you feel The world closing in Just stand back Open your heart And let Him in If your life just seems empty and pointless Listen now and you will know where to turn Give Jesus a chance to be your stand back open your heart and let him in cause he feels your pain and he cries your tears he knows when you're lonely and he knows your fears though sometimes you the world closing in Just stand back Open your heart And let Him in Give Jesus a chance To be your friend Just stand back Open your heart and let Him in. 
just stand back Open your heart And let Him in Thank you so much for having me here tonight. I appreciate it. appreciate Brother Jackie for asking me to be here and be your guest. You've been awful good to be here and, and to share in this time. Pray that you'll pray for our ministry. Uh, hope that you'll hang around a little while and visit. We'll be kind of out in the foyer and visit with you if you want to. And we'd love to get to know each one of you. Thank you so much.